0: Father, that is our hope. That is what keeps us going when the battle presses so hard that we wonder if we can take one more step. Soon and very soon, we're going to see the King as God who is our refuge and strength, as the choir just sang to us. The God who is our deliverer in every experience of this journey. We're going to see you, God. Hallelujah face to face. Thank you for that hope. No wonder they call it blessed. In the name of Christ, we wait upon you in Holy Scripture now. Let all the people say, Amen. Amen. Have a seat. Thank you, singers. Thank you, choir. Everybody did so wonderfully today. Glad to have you on the team. Privileged to work with you. I was a missionary's kid, so I, I grew up in the mission field. Oh, and I used to hate it. I used to hate it when somebody visiting from world headquarters would come to our humble little land, one of our church leaders, and I I, I never figured this out. He would get up and the very first thing he would say would be something like this, I bring you greetings today from the 60,000 believers in Rwanda. And I would say to myself, "That that that is so untrue. They didn't send greetings. He's just doing this. But every time they get up, I bring you greetings today. And so I I never liked it, and uh, I apologize today for having to begin that way, but I bring you greetings today. (laughs) I bring you greetings today from what we would call in English, Brazil Adventist University. It was an unforgettable experience. While you were having week of prayer here, and I understand you had a God-anointed and blessed week of prayer here, and I was praying for you here, Many of you were praying for me down past the equator, down in the southern hemisphere, where when we began fall last Sunday, they began spring. And on the mighty campus of... Well, they call this... They call it UNASPI. It's kind of an acronym, but they just say UNASPI. They actually have two campuses. I bring you greetings from 6,000 students. They have 3,000 students on the city in Sao Paulo, the largest city in South America. They have 3,000 students. Now, that includes... Elementary and uh, secondary. And they have 3,000 students on the campus where I had the privilege of going just two hours to the north. Just, you can't believe how idyllic that location is. 300 acres of orange groves. It's just spectacular. And they have the university right there. Most of the faculty are graduates of uh, Andrews University. And so, Becky, I got a picture of us. We We had a potluck dinner. Sabbath, and I'll give that picture to you for the focus. They, they gathered together, and the young adults, the Brazilian young adults are, are just, well, they're, they're young adults like we are. Same culture. It's a western culture. It's southern hemisphere, but it's western. And they speak a, you know, a funny language, Portuguese. But other than that, they're fine people. I say that because, you know, at the end of our services here, we have two dominant groups, country groups that meet. You watch. You stick around today. The rest of, all the Americans leave. But the, the Yugoslavians will be right over here talking in their language, and all the Brazilians right over here speaking Portuguese. And so, for the sake of the Brazilians here, I need to say, O mundo UNASPI é alto nível. Is that okay? O mundo UNASPI, they, they call it the world of UNASPI. Like we would say, the world of Andrews, Andrews University. And that means top level. O mundo unaspi e legal. So I've impressed him enough. Now I can go on. But we had a wonderful week of prayer there. And I want to thank you for your prayers. You know, I don't take lightly the fact that you pray when your pastor uh, is called away on a preaching mission. It makes all the difference in the world when you pray. I cannot imagine what it would be like without prayer cover. And so, thank you, thank you, thank you. Gave three altar calls. Altar call Tuesday morning. I'll tell you why I gave that in just a moment. Altar call Tuesday morning to come to Jesus, if you've never come before, to come to Him, if you've gone away from Him. Altar call on... uh, The second altar call was an altar call to sexual purity. Brazil is a culture like ours, which is sex-dominated. And so, it was a call to sexual purity. And the third altar call... As we were talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the line, John Wesley, give me 30 men who love nothing but God, hate nothing but sin, and seek only the glory of God, and I will set the world on, fly, on fire, John Wesley said. So I said, I need 30 men on this campus, and I need 30 women. And they came by the hundreds. And I praise God. And I want to tell you an experience that happened, kind of sets us up for where we're going this morning. Tuesday morning at 12.15 in the morning, I'm, I'm asleep. You know, it's only one hour difference. They're closer to Europe, and so they're an hour ahead of us right now. But at 12.15 in the morning, I'm staying in the guest room there in the girls' dorm outside. And uh, there's a knocking at the door. I stumble to the door. And here's one of the young men from the, from the dormitory, men's residence. Pastor, I said, Pastor, you must come. We need prayer. There's something happening that is very, very strange. I said, hold on, let me get my clothes on. And so I jumped into some clothes and put on a coat because, you know, it's cool. you are coming out out of winter into spring. And, uh, as we're walking through under the night sky, beautiful southern hemisphere stars, and I said, what's up? And he said, oh, and he said, this young man, his brother, he, he learned today that his brother died. And his brother has been trying to draw him away from the faith of Christ. And it's had some kind of an effect on him, and he, something's happened to him. And in fact, as we we're going by the door, he said, do you hear that? Do you hear that? I said, hear what? He said, no, listen. And I stopped, we stopped, and from the third floor, these loud, a loud voice, and they said it was not his voice speaking out of him. And so I said, oh boy, I have never experienced this before. And I'm praying in my heart. I'm saying, God, it happens in America. It happens anywhere. And so just show me what to do when it happens. And so we go up to the third floor and we go down. We open the, open the door to that dormitory. And beautiful dormitory rooms. And, and here's a, a band of young men already in prayer. They're in prayer. They're on their, their knees praying And I see him up on the top bunk. And he never came off. The entire time, he never came off the top bunk. Like he was just held to that bunk. He had a blanket over his face. Just held to his face. I never saw his face. But out of that hand in the blanket, there was a voice. I, You know, I don't know him. It could have been his voice from all I know. But they would translate. A a young man there spoke fluent English. And so he's translating. What is he saying? I said, well, you just tell him that Pastor has come. Pastor Nelson is here. Pastor Dwight is here. And I've come to pray. And then he just... He jumped all over the bed, and it was—it was—it was a moment I realized that this—this this is a God moment. I mean, if God is not able, then this is—what are we doing here? And so we went into prayer. We took Psalm 46. We began to read Bible promises. So what you sang about, uh, Psalm 46, and began to read it out loud in translation English. And the other boys been around the corner came around and joined us. And then one of them said, let's sing a song. And, and he said, let's sing A Mighty Fortress. Well, A Mighty Fortress is Martin Luther's version of Psalm 46. And I luckily keep, I just love that hymn, and so I keep it in my Bible. So I pull the English words out and I'm singing in English, they're singing in Portuguese. And we just saw so the, the, the night went singing, praying, reading, claiming Bible text. Soon the pastor came, uh, uh, Pastor Amin and a couple of the professors whom you would know, those of you in the faculty here, they came and now we're praying, we're praying. At one time the young man said... The voice inside him said, I'm not letting him go until 7 in the morning. And I said to the trans I said, you tell him that we're going to be here praying then until 7 in the morning. It doesn't matter. We'll be here all night. We prayed and prayed and claimed promises and sang songs of the cross and of the power of the name of Jesus. And at quarter to two, he collapsed on his bed. We quietly brought an end to our prayer time. We left. He slept the rest of the night. And when he awakened in the morning, He had no idea of what happened the night before. You know, obviously my mind is now very... uh, My mind is spinning. My heart is wanting God to do it. What shall I preach this morning? And so the Lord impressed me to change the sermon to Revelation chapter 12, verse 11. And they overcame the dragon by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony and gave the first altar call. Normally they don't give an altar call that early in the week, but gave an altar call and hundreds of kids responded. God was there. And you know what I learned? I learned two things. Number one... I learned, because I've heard this happening before, I learned, number one, you never speak to evil. There's some people say, no, you got to talk to the evil and address it and ask it its name. Rubbish. That's the most dangerous thing you can do. You get sucked in. Don't think you're the Lord Jesus and you can ask the name. You don't. You don't talk to evil. You talk to God. You talk to Jesus. You pray out loud to Jesus. You pray. The power of the name. Uh, Proverbs 4, the righteous... The, 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 no, Proverbs 18, I guess it is. The, the, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. You just have the name of Jesus. Don't you ever be afraid. There was one moment when my blood turned to ice. I thought, because he's a big guy. He's a big young adult. I said, he's coming off that bed. And I just froze. It's okay. God's there. You have an angel. Don't ever talk to evil. Lesson number one. Lesson number two is power. In the name of the Lord. Because that happens all over the world. It's not just in the Western culture. It happens in the Eastern culture. North and South. We have no reason to fear. Which is why the Christ whose name and blood are so mighty and powerful. Once again becomes our focus as we continue our series called The Revealing. Open your Bible, please, to the Bible's last book, The Apocalypse. This is part four. If you're watching on television and you haven't seen parts one, two, and three, you can go to our website. Our website will be up at the end of this, at the end of this program and you can, you can get the, the first three as well. But this is the revealing part for three faces of Jesus we've already seen. Now we're going to a fourth face of Jesus. We'll go to the fourth face of Jesus. Open your Bible, please, to Revelation chapter 1. Today, I'm in the New Living. There's nothing wrong with changing the translation now and then. If you like the same translation every week, we've got the New King James Version in the pew in front of you. You can come every week and get the same translation. Revelation chapter 1. Our journey into the mighty apocalypse continues. Just one verse today from Revelation. Only one verse. Revelation chapter 1. New Living Translation. Let's read it. You read it in what you have. Verse 7. Just one verse. Verse 7. There it is on the screen. Look! I like the way that begins. Look! Come on, you have your eyes somewhere else? Look! King James says, Behold! But I like, Look! Look! He comes with the clouds of heaven. Soon and very soon... We are going to see the King. We sang it just a moment ago. Look! He comes with the clouds of heaven. And everyone will see him. Even those who pierced him. And all the nations of the earth will weep because of him. Yes! Amen. Oh, I like that. Yes! Amen. That's the New Living Translation. Yep! He's coming. Ladies and gentlemen, note it carefully. We are told to look. We're told to look at a face. What is this face? What is this face of Jesus? Look full in his wonderful face. It is a face that now shines with glory. Look, the face of the returning Christ. He comes with clouds. But I want to remind you. Let me show you a line here. Look, He comes with the clouds of heaven and everyone will see Him. Put the next slide up. Now, now, now notice this part here. Even those who pierced Him. Even those who pierced Him. You see, the face on the cloud is also the face on the cross. The one coming on the cloud is the mighty conqueror of Calvary. Same face, same same being. Face on the cloud is the face on the cross, which is why this sermon could also be entitled The Anatomy of a Fall and Its Restoration. Let's take a look at The Anatomy of a Fall and Its Restoration. You see, what John has done is he's, he's tucked away a code phrase. What I want to do is I'll, let, let's do some Sherlock holming together. Let's get up close, put our mic, Let, let's put that magnifying glass up there, and let's take a look. There's a code phrase tucked away in the heart of Revelation 1-7. John cryptically includes dramatic one-liner from, from an ancient and minor prophet. John obviously is enamored by this single phrase because he's the only New Testament writer to quote it, and John quotes it twice. Something about this line that moves the heart of John. The other place that John quotes it is in the gospel that bears his name. Find the gospel of St. John. Chapter 19, this is the crucifixion. We were just at the crucifixion the last time you and I were together. And I know that uh, last week at the week of prayer, with our visiting guests, you went to the cross. Let's go to the cross again. Let's go to the Gospel of St. John, chapter 19. Jesus has just expired. He has just died. It is finished! He cried out. And then he lowered his head. Intentional death, by the way. Intentional death. He controls it. Right up to the last minute. Then he lowers his head and dies. This is John chapter 19. Pick it up. So, he's just died. Verse 31. Now, let's read. Verse 31. The Jewish leaders didn't want the victims hanging there the next day, which was a Sabbath and a very special Sabbath at that because it was the Passover. Double high day. So, they asked Pilate to hasten their deaths by ordering that the the legs be broken. You see what happens. Now I used to think, well, you know, maybe they didn't want to run away or they want to hold him there. No, 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 no. The reason they break the legs is because the victim of crucifixion, the only way he can breathe, is to is to suck his diaphragm up just high enough and, and, and gulp in some air to keep living. The the way to raise his diaphragm is to put all his weight on his legs to lift himself, and so when they break the legs, it produces such a searing barbaric pain. That I, 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 can't, I, I can't lift myself. And I, I choked it. I asphyxiate. So that's why I said, break their legs. They'll choke. So that's why the command. Then their bodies could be taken down. See that at the end of verse 31? Then their bodies could be taken down. Let's go to verse 32. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the two men crucified with Jesus. But when they came to Jesus, they saw that He was is this unusual? They saw that he was dead already, so they didn't break his legs. One of the soldiers, verse 34, however, pierced his side with a spear and blood and water flowed out. The report, this report is from an eyewitness giving an accurate account. That's young John boy. John was probably 20 at his oldest. 20, the youngest disciple. He's the one that wrote Revelation. Revelation. He was there. He said, I'm telling you, what you have just read is from an eyewitness account. I saw it. He's very modest. He never refers to himself in his gospel. But you know, it's, it, it is he. It is presented. Look, I like this. At the end of verse 35, it is presented so that you also can believe. I want you to believe, John says. Now, verse 36. These things happen to, in fulfillment of the scriptures that say not one of his bones will be broken. Okay? No bone was broken. And here's the punch sign. Here's a Sherlock Holmes discovery. Here's that obscure line. Verse 37, and the Scriptures also say, they will look on Him whom they have pierced. Do you see that? Twice. He's used the word pierced. Twice. Look upon Him. Look upon the one they've pierced. Where does that obscure line come from? If we can find its origin, we unlock the picture of Jesus. It's not just the face on the cloud now. There's a much more compelling face that we see. Well... We know where the line is. Let's go back to the Old Testament. The next to the last book of the Old Testament. You go on Matthew, the first book of the New Testament. You go back behind Matthew is Malachi. Just behind Malachi is Zechariah. Find Zechariah. Just one line from Zechariah. This is where we spend our our last moments together. Zechariah. Go to Zechariah next to the last of the minor prophets. But oh boy, this is no minor, no minor word. This is a major, major statement. Zechariah chapter 12 Verse 10. Verse 10. God is speaking here. Zechariah 12.10 Then God speaks. I will pour out a spirit of grace in prayer on the family of David and on all the people of Jerusalem. And they will look on Me whom they have pierced and mourn for Him as for an only Son. They will grieve bitterly for Him as for the firstborn, a firstborn who has died. God cries I and Hey, look, look, look. You will look upon Me. You have pierced Me. You will look upon Me, whom you have pierced, and you will mourn for Him. It, it, it's, it's that way in the Hebrew. Newer translations try to get around this. They say, well, you can't have Me here and Him there. But no, that's exactly right. God is saying, you look on Me. You pierce Me. But Him, Him, this is the one you will mourn for. You will mourn for Him as over the death of a firstborn. You will mourn. God says, I and My Son are one. You know what? When that spear went up, shoo, That spear broke two hearts. One spear, two hearts broken that day. Father and Son both pierced. That's why four words in the English, four words in the Greek. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19. God was in Christ. Right there. Two hearts. Two hearts broken. They will look... Look at that again. They will look on Me whom they have pierced and mourn for Him as for an only Son. They will grieve bitterly for Him as for a firstborn Son who has died. But of course, ladies and gentlemen, it's not about the piercing of the spear, is it? This is not about a spear. Both Zachariah and John are unequivocal. Dramatically, they make the point, the piercing and the wounding of his heart is by our sins. Our sins. Your sin pierced him. My sin wounded him. My sin, your sin, any sin you indulge in now, our sins have pierced him. They will look upon me whom they have pierced. Pierced. You know why? Because we were all there. We were all there that fateful Friday on Golgotha. All of us there. Mike Wallace. You heard of Mike Wallace? mean, one of the most celebrated American uh, newscasters and journalists in the nation. 60 Minutes. There's his face on the screen. 60 Minutes. Fame. Mike Wallace, in 60 Minutes, one day, was interviewing a survivor of the Holocaust during World War II. A Jewish survivor. Name of the, name of the survivor? Yehiel Dinur. Yehiel Dinur. And De Nure was describing to Wallace that moment when he walked into the Nuremberg Court. You remember, I've been to Germany and, and, and been in that courtroom. The Nuremberg Court, where in 1961, the Allies conducted their war crimes trials. In 1961, De Nure walks into the court and across the way, in, in the seat of the accused, there sits one they came to know as the butcher, Adolf Eichmann. And when De Nure, when De Nure makes eye contact with Eichmann, he does something terribly strange. He falls to the floor of the courtroom and begins to weep. And Wallace is saying, why are you weeping? Why, why Is it fear or was it hatred? You saw him, just hatred overcame. Him. He said, no, 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 no. He described how when he saw Eichmann, suddenly he saw in him not the evil superman that the prisoners had come to dread, but when he looked into those eyes... He saw a very ordinary, ordinary, just like me, just like me, human being. And I quote Dean here now. He said, I was afraid about myself. I saw that I am capable to do this. I am exactly like he. I'm exactly like he. Mike Wallace summed up the 60 Minute Report. With this observation, Eichmann is in all of us. All of us. Verse 10, They will look on me whom they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as for an only son. They will grieve bitterly for him as for a firstborn son who has died. Adolf Eichmann, the Jewish leaders, the Roman soldiers, They're in all of us. We were all there that Friday. We all pierced him. We all wounded him. Your sin, my sin, any sin we cling to now. The darling sin that we say, Hey, keep quiet, keep quiet. I can keep you around longer if you just keep quiet. Any sin. Pierced him. Broke his heart. One sin. Horatio Bonar. Have you ever heard of the name Horatio Bonar? The great 19th century Scottish hymn writer. One night, Horatio Bonar has a dream. In this dream, his heart is about torn out. He cannot believe it. He's at the crucifixion. He is there in the dream. It's a nightmare to him. He's in this dream and he sees this burly Roman soldier. And he sees that nail going into the tender flesh of Jesus. And finally, Bonar can stand it no longer. And he reaches out in his dream and he grabs that massive shoulder and he whirls him around. And Bonar gasps. Because when the soldier turns around, he sees his own face. He woke up the next day, composed these words. i put it on the screen for you. "'Twas I that shed the sacred blood. I nailed Him to the tree. I crucified the Christ of God. I joined, I joined the mockery." Zechariah twelve ten. They will look on Me whom they have pierced and mourn for Him as for an only son. They will grieve bitterly for Him as for the firstborn son who has died. Adolf Eichmann, the Jewish leaders, the Roman soldiers, Horatio Bonar, they all of them are in us. We have all pierced Him. Our sins were the ones that broke His heart. My sin, your sin, any sin we cling to. All, all of us. No wonder Hebrews chapter 6, verse 6. I tell you what, this is a very very somber line in the New Testament. Let's put it up on the screen. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 6. It speaks about crucifying again the Son of God and holding Him up to contempt. When I sin, I re-crucify Jesus. Re-crucify Him. How did John put it? In fact, let, keep your finger, keep your, stay right there in Zechariah. We'll put Revelation 1.7. I want to go back to the text we read just a moment ago. Revelation 1.7. Put it back up on the screen, please. Look! He comes with the clouds of heaven and everyone will see Him. Next screen. Even those who pierced Him and all the nations of the earth will weep because of Him. Yes! Amen! Now, ladies and gentlemen, we have read those lines, you and I, and we have traditionally done what we've done with this text is conclude, and I believe rightfully so. We've concluded. Hey! That means that before Jesus comes there, the the, the the Roman soldiers, the cruel rabble, those who spit in his face, will be resurrected, as it were, and they will have an opportunity. I'm telling you what, it's gonna be an unenviable opportunity. To gaze up into the face that they mocked and see him as the king of the entire galaxies, the highest king in the universe. They're gonna see that. I mean, didn't didn't Jesus say to wily, wicked Caiaphas the high priest? Say, hey, the day is coming when you will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven. I wouldn't want to be there that day, not in, not in those sandals. But you see, that's what we've done. We said, oh, even those who pierced Him, that, that's all those people 2,000 years ago. Wrong. I mean, it includes them. There are more. My friend Joe Engelmeyer, knowing that we would come to this text, shared a quotation with me just a few, uh, two, three weeks ago. And as I've read this quotation... oh. The author of these words you're about to read, back in 1902, was speaking, a public lecture. I want you to take a careful look at these words. I'll put them on the screen for you now. And they also which pierced him. That's Revelation 1.7. See? Every eye will see him, and they also which pierced him. Now, notice what the author does. Not only does this apply to those who last saw Christ when he hung on the cross of Calvary, but also to those who, by wrong words and actions, are piercing him today. Daily, he suffers the agonies of crucifixion. You get that? Daily, men and women are piercing him by dishonoring him, by refusing to do his will. And quote, you know what it, you know what that means, ladies and gentlemen? It's as if it's as if I persist when I persist with that sin. It is as if I go down and I take the nail and I begin to drive that in daily. For the sin that I will not let go, I am re-crucifying, re-crucifying the Son of God. We've all pierced Him. I don't think, I can't imagine anybody challenging that. We have all pierced Him. Now it's, now, it's true. And I know what some of you are thinking right now. You say, well, look, but but there are degrees of sinning, aren't there, Dwight? Come on. there There are at least of sin's impact, sinning's impact. There are different degrees. And my friend, you're absolutely right. For example, my fall may be way more spectacular than your fall. Yeah. Because it may make the headlines. Yours does it? Mine does. See? The fall of David was more sensational, certainly more sensational, than the faithlessness of Elijah. But both men, after God's heart, both men fell. Both men sinned. Both men in a moment of weakness, like passion as us, both men fell. Both sins. Now, it's true. The prostitute is more easily bedeviled than the Pharisee. And that's the problem. Because we've concluded, I'm not the prostitute. I'm okay. We need to remember, and this is just, this is powerful. I hope you never forget these words. Uh, Henry Mool. Hanley Mool, rather. Hanley Mool. Just one line. Look at this. The harlot, the liar, the murderer are short, fall short of God's glory. But so are you. So am I. Perhaps they stand at the bottom of a mine and you on the crest of an alp, but you are as little able to touch the stars as they. Isn't that true? You're at the bottom. Hey, look at me. I'm at the top. But you can stand on the highest mountain on this planet and you still cannot touch the stars. We have all fallen and fallen far short of the glory of God. We've all pierced Him. All of us have wounded him. And I know that there's some of us listening right now who are saying, No, I mean, yeah, but no. I haven't done any of that. I have not. I have been very careful. I'm not half as bad a fall as that other fall. For those of us in that category, the same author of a few moments ago spoke some rather unequivocal words. And I want to just, you know, you can take them home today and munch on them over dinner. Put the words on the screen right now. God's law. Do you see that? God's law reaches the feelings and motives as well as the outward acts. It reveals the secrets of the heart, flashing light upon things before buried in darkness. God knows every thought, every purpose, every plan, every motive. And now I put the emphasis on this last line. The books of heaven record the sins that would have been committed had there been opportunity. End quote. Whoa! Whoa! Nobody gets off the hook today because I would have done the same thing if I had been given the opportunity, see? You see, it's it's easy when 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 you sin up here. Nobody reads your thoughts. You can get away with your thoughts, but you will be condemned by those thoughts because the issue is the longing of the heart. What do you want? What do you really want? And if I could give it to you, would you take it? Would you take it if I could give it to you? I give it to you now. See? The books in heaven record what I would have done had I not been watched. But I was watched. (laughs) Which is why Jesus quietly challenges the male accusers... Of the woman, because men are very quick to jump and say, her sin, her fault. Jesus said, okay, I see you guys have this already figured out. Be my guest. Hey, 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 hey wait, let, 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 me, let me help you. Here. Here. Come on, come on. Hey. Throw it. You throw The one without sin, come on, come come, come come here. Throw it at him. You have my permission. Because he knows the heart. He read the secrets of the soul. Which of course doesn't excuse our falls. When you fall, there's no excuse. When I fall, no excuse. Now unto him who's able to keep us from falling, Jude 24 and 25. Never forget Jude 24 and 25. There is no excuse for a fall. Moment of weakness, yes. But it's not an excuse. But it's a reminder. In here, in here, and in here, we all have fallen. We've all pierced him. We've all wounded him. The anatomy of the fall is very clear in all of our bodies and minds. But you saying, Do I come on? Come on, please. Not the anatomy of the fall. Give me the anatomy of a restoration. Ah, I want to end with that. The anatomy of a restoration. It's all here in that cryptic code that John wove into this beautiful face of Christ. It's all here. i want to read uh, Zechariah 12.10. Take a look at this. Read the verse and right from the top of the verse. Then I will pour out a spirit of grace You see, God, it it, it takes the initiative of God. He said, I'll pour that Spirit out. I will pour out His Spirit of grace and prayer on the family of David and all the people of Jerusalem and Pioneer and Andrews. I'll pour that Spirit out and you'll have a heart for me. I will pour out My Spirit upon you. And now what will happen? They will look on Me whom they have pierced and mourn for Him as for an only son. They will grieve bitterly for Him as for a firstborn son who has died it's one of the saddest stories I tell you the truth it's one of the saddest stories I've never heard a sadder story than this and what makes it so sad is it's not somebody dreamed it up I heard it I heard it on the news I was driving in my car evening radio news and I heard the story mom and dad in this home decide to go out for dinner Saturday night they're going to go out for dinner so they tell their little 14 year old baby they say honey you can have a friend over here So we're going to be gone. In fact, we're going to come home very late. We want you girls to go to bed. Don't wait up for us, please. All right? And so mom and dad leave. But these are teenage girls, and teenage girls are teenage girls. So they stay up. They stay up, and they wait until one o'clock in the morning. And when they hear the garage door going up, their little girls say, quick, 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 come here, come here. They, the two girls race down to the hallway right by the front door. They climb into a closet. They said, watch this. They hide in the closet. And when mom and dad come into that darkened hall, the, their little baby with a glorious boo leaps out the door. And in a moment of panic, fear and reaction, Papa pulled out a handgun and shot at the intruder in the dark. And when he turned on the light, when he turned on the light, he saw what he had done. And as he held his little girl in his arms, just before she died, she said, she looked up into his face and she said, I love you, Daddy. And I'm telling you, when I heard that story, I could no longer see to drive and I pulled off the road. Because I'm thinking to myself, there could be nothing in all the world more terrible than to hold your little girl in your arms and she's dying because you just kill her. And to hear her say, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how a man could go on living. I don't know. Is there anything worse in this life? I think you'd cry for the rest of your life. I think you'd cry and cry and cry. They will look on me, whom they have pierced. And they will mourn as for an only child. They will grieve bitterly as for a firstborn who has died. I mean, to realize at my hand, she's gone. Ladies and gentlemen, this cryptic line that John has tucked away twice this is the secret. This is the secret for the besetting sins that still hold us captive. You see, if I will go to Calvary, and if I will turn the light on at Calvary, it will suddenly hit me. The one who's dying there is dying at my own hand. I did it! I know it was a mistake, but I pulled the trigger. I pierced the spear and I broke his heart. Until, come on guys, until I realize that this little... Keep quiet. You can stay with me for the rest of the journey if you... Keep quiet. When I realize that that is what killed him. There's no other way. I I will not shift the paradigm. I will still coddle this. I will still hang on to it. I I, I will still hold on to it until I realize that it's this, this, that took His life there. They will look on Me whom they have pierced and mourn for Him as for an only Son. They will grieve bitterly for him as for our firstborn son who has died. As that papa holds his little girl, her dying whisper, I love you, daddy. And in that whisper, surely, we are hearing the faint voice of the dying one on Calvary, who in spite of our fall, who actually because of our fall, and we're holding him in his In our arms. And He looks into our face. We look full into His face. He looks full into our face. And He whispers, I love you, my child. I forgive you. It is finished. And He dies. Thus was fulfilled the Scripture, They will look on Him whom they have pierced. The anatomy of a fall and its restoration. Restoration. How does the restoration come? Oh, come on, ladies and gentlemen, the restoration comes. Look, 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 look. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away. You've got to look. Behold, the Lamb of God. you got to look at Him. You'll never get set free until you look at Him. Look into those eyes. Hear Him say to you, I love you. I love you. I forgive you. You've got to go again and again and again and again. This is, this is the book, Acts of the Apostles. Look at, look at this, Acts of the Apostles. The nearer, the nearer we come to Jesus and the more clearly we discern the purity of His character the more clearly we shall see the exceeding sinfulness of sin and the less shall we feel like exalting ourselves. There will be a continual, again and again, see, there will be a continual reaching out of the soul to God. A continual. That means you have to do it over and over. You don't do it once. You don't do it once in church. Say, well, that's enough. It's day after day after day. You've got to look full into that face. Look full into His wonderful face. Look into that face continually. There will be a continual, again and again, reaching out of the soul to God, a continual, earnest, heartbreaking confession of sin and humbling of the heart before Him. Again and again and again until Jesus comes. I want to ask you something in closing. Would you like to confess your sins today? Right now? Right here? Would you like to? Every sin you've ever committed in your life, I mean every blooming sin... Starting five minutes ago and back. Would you like to? Today. You see, both John and Zechariah, very close to this code word line. Both of them want us to know something. Zechariah chapter 3, verse 1. Look at this. Put it on the screen. On that day a fountain will be opened for the dynasty of David. People of Jerusalem, a fountain to cleanse them from all their sins and defilement. And we, verse 5, just before verse 7 in in Revelation 1. Now to Him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by shedding His blood for us. There is a fountain, ladies and gentlemen. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains. You know who wrote those words? A man named William Cooper. Looks like it's Cowper, but it's Cooper, how he pronounced it. Do you know what? He could never get the story of Calvary straight. Three times he ended up in an insane asylum. Twice he attempted suicide, but he kept going back to Jesus because that's the way Jesus is. You can just keep coming back to Him over again and again, over and over and over. And he did. And he wrote this great, great confession of faith. Oh God, what can we say? In his fall, we have all fallen. In her fall, we have all fallen. For we are your fallen ones. Our private sins, our public failures, you know it all. that oh God there would be no hope for any today were it not that the death we caused is the death that now can set us free and so we have come just as we are bringing all our sins to this fountain of Calvary And we are asking, dear Father, again, and again, and again, we are asking that You'd wash us clean. You promised us, God, we're holding You to this, that if we confess our sins, You are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we've been emboldened to come this fountain wash us clean everybody today goes home white as snow oh Jesus we didn't mean to do it we didn't know it would do that to you So please, keep your arm around us and may our fallen hearts walk with grace and hope and peace and faith again. And we will thank you, O Christ, when we see you face to face on that cloud. We who pierced you will see you when we see you face to face, we will thank you and love you and worship you forever and ever. Let all the people say, Amen Amen. and Amen.